Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Victorious Friday. You know, like every every Friday, I say welcome because I have a special guest. Uh, this 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 person right here is near and dear to my heart. He's a good dear friend. Uh, his name is Boyd Bailey, and boy, you know, he has he is the president of the Georgia chapter of the National Christian Foundation. But more importantly, um, I just I just know him uh, as a caring individual who really want to see organizations thrive. He want to see uh, people reach their full potential uh, in their walk in the Lord. So he's a dear friend, Boyd Bailey. Bailey welcome to Victoria's Friday, my friend. Eric, it's so great to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I love what God's doing in and through your life. And thank you for the privilege of being with you today. Oh, you're so welcome. You know, I was just having some conversation with Boy, and I said, boy, you know, catch me up on the details, his wife, Rita. Uh, and, and he says, wait a minute, I have four daughters and 11 grandkids. My friend, you are, you are officially uh, a father, a husband, uh, a loving grandparent now. I'm proud of you, my friend. Well, thank you. you know, there are a lot of things in life that are overrated, but being a grandparent is not one of them. <laughs> Man, I tell you, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I get a chance to spoil them and, and send them home. It's the best, <laughs> it's the best thing I could do. Yes. yes. Well, my friend, we're here to talk about today uh, your book. I mean, you've written an amazing book, uh, The Spiritual Life of a Leader. And I want to dive into that and, and, and get more into that when it's coming out and how people can get it and all of that. But specifically in today's broadcast, I want to talk about what are the habits and goals of effective leaders. And you've written a tremendous uh, book to really talk about that topic and those issues. Um, just kind of open us up, uh, boy, one, with a little background on you, where you're from and so forth. And then I want to get into what, what kind of motivated you uh, to write your book that's coming out, The Spiritual Life of a Leader. Give us a little bit of background in that journey and uh, maybe some key lessons that people can take away as, as you dive into the story. You know, Terrence, I was reflecting with my wife the other night that really, as I look over the different seasons of living, that there have been mentors that have modeled just what I've needed in whatever season, whether as an early on as a husband, having a mentor that would model for me how to seek to love my wife as Christ loved the church or, you know, raising my children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord or in business, you know, keeping, keeping the Lord preeminent and not being driven to make money, but to let money be a, a servant of the Lord's work. And so for me, having those real life examples of people living out what Jesus talked about, living the spirit filled life as a leader, to me was was more caught than taught. And I think principles are important, but I think being able to rub against people like yourself and, and learn those best practices. Um, the other thing that's been really uh, capturing my imagination is this idea of what does it really mean to be spirit led? as as leaders and my wife actually has a greenhouse and i she actually harvested this tomato uh this morning and you know i've forgotten you know tomatoes a fruit actually it's a fruit because it comes from a flower and it's a fruit because it's full of seeds and as she's as she works every day in this greenhouse i thought wow just like god works on me 
as a leader. You know, he's the gardener. And it's important to have that right environment, just like this greenhouse to allow that fruit to grow. And if I'm willing, if I'm submitting myself in humility to the gardener every day and allowing him to nurture me through his love, through his holiness, through his wisdom and leadership, then the vine begins to grow, which of course is Jesus. Jesus is the vine. And, uh, and then, then we're the branch. I'm the branch connected to that vine and allowing him to prune me back to, to grow the fruit of the spirit as he talks about in my life. Uh, then there's authenticity. Then there's, um, I think, leadership that's compelling that we become leaders worth following when we are truly uh, nurtured by our heavenly father through his love and gardening we're truly uh, engrafted into the vine of Jesus, our best friend, our savior, our Lord, our man of sorrows. And, and then the Holy Spirit's kind of that overall um, providing comfort and guidance and, and wisdom. So uh, that's what the book is all about. It's the foundation of truly being spirit-filled leaders. What does that look like? What's the fruit that's a result of that? And how can, as a leader, me being patient to follow the spirit's lead rather than Boyd rushing ahead, trying to make things happen. Uh, the Holy spirit can impact lives much more, uh, impactful than I can for eternity. And, and we've all, you know, we've all been there. I've, I've been there where as a, as a leader, I was impatient trying to make things happen versus waiting on God to work, whether it's in my family or in the office and having that patient love, to let the, let the spirit do his work and all the hearts involved and then beautiful things happen. Oh man. Well said, you know, you were, you were almost describing some, some places I want to go to sometime. And, uh, but, but as you said, the power of the spirit working in and through us, uh, and that, that's a powerful spirit. That's that, that, um, that's at work there. Um, not to be taken. I think today as well, it's even very, I think it's very critical uh, that we, that we live that life that you're speaking about, because I'm watching leaders today in so many areas, uh, who many probably once admired at one point, I think of Bill Gates, I think of so many other leaders, uh, who we thought was, you know, had one image, but yet we find out there's a different image and, not, and nothing against me. Bill is probably doing, I probably have done some things that, you know, as I look back and we live this life of repentance as a Christian, um, the idea is how do we live consistently under the power of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, that's that's the challenge. Yeah. It, uh, you know, the Christian life is not a one man sport. It's uh, it's a community. Yes. And, and the spirit is most manifest in the spirit of other believers so that uh, as a as a husband or as a Father, I can really be vulnerable and honest about my own struggles. And then the lies of the devil are exposed because if I'm not careful, I start believing lies. Yeah. Like, like I don't need anybody. And like, I, all I need is autonomy and I'll be fine. And, mm -hmm. and all of those are lies because when we look at the early church, they broke bread together. They were in each other's lives. You know, Terrence, I don't trust myself by myself. Yeah. So, so what I'm learning is the word integrity really means integrated. So is my life integrated into the body of Christ? Is my life integrated into being a beloved son of God, my identity in Christ? So if I'm integrated from that standpoint, 
uh, by the Holy Spirit's power, seeking to live out who God says I am, then there's the power, then there's the accountability, then there's the love, then there's the community. And the other thing I'm learning about integrity is I met a structural engineer about a year ago and I said, what's, what's most important when you build a bridge or a building as far as the integrity of the structure? He said, oh, it's the inspection. Mm-hmm. He, said, he, he had no idea what I was fishing for. Yeah. He, he said, it's the inspection on the front end to make sure everything's to code. That every, you know, you, you want an inspector that's very disciplined at looking and making sure everything's correct. But then more importantly, it's the ongoing inspections because there's pressure points and that structure will compromise if those are not discovered and, and shored up. And I thought, wow, in my life, maybe it's success and failures that are those pressure points on my life. And, and am I allowing, inspect, am I inviting inspectors? Not, not that it'll just give me a nod and sign off no matter what, but are these true inspectors that love me enough that will ask me the hard questions that will say, boy, you know, in the past, you used to travel and always take somebody with you. You were never alone with another woman. What do you mean that you said you had lunch with this person by yourself? And you, in the past, you said that was a guideline. And so having that, uh, you know, if we, you know, when I experience failure, I tend to, uh, that's in some ways easier because I'm looking up kind of desperate for the Lord. Yeah. But Terrence, I think success can be our worst enemy sometimes because when I'm successful, I think, wow, I've got more authority now, I've got more income, I've got more freedom. And what I'm learning is it's the generosity, it's a generous Holy Spirit-led life of using whatever God's blessing me with, whether it's more resources, more time, uh, more influence, and being generous to give that away. And that keeps me uh, honest and, and I think hopefully humble, humble before the Lord and humble before others. Well, you know, that's one area that you speak to in your book is, is having a proper assessment of yourself. Uh, and, you know, we, we know we can't don't think too much, you know, don't think too highly of yourself. Right. Uh, and, and I love that area in your book. You're talking about that proper assessment, that accountability, that being around community and, and having people having to speak into your life and ask you the tough questions. Right. Um, and so that assessment sometime, if, if that's off, right, if the inspection of the bridge is false, then you're going to have a faulty structure. Uh, it may look good, may look pretty, may look like it's doable, but the reality is it's, it, it, you, you don't want to drive across that bridge and, and think I'm safe, right? And a lot of times we, 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 we run across a bridge in our life, we call it life, and we think it's safe and it's not safe. Uh, and I like that piece of assessment. You also, as you talk about in your book, living a life with the spirit-filled uh, life and, and, you know, maybe help people understand what does that look like, a spirit-filled life, and, and how do you avoid the temptations is another area you talk about uh, in your book. Uh, talk to our people around what does it really mean to live a spirit-filled life? And secondly, how can we put things in our life to avoid those temptations, to, to maybe shortcut those inspections uh, that should be there, that accountability that should be there in our life. Yeah, certainly the spirit-filled life, there's a certain mystery that's a part of that. You know, the scripture talks about sometimes we don't even know how to pray, but the spirit within us with groanings, you know, prays on our behalf. And, you know, it's somewhat of a mystery that Jesus went out to the desert uh, for 40 days, uh, and, and he was just fasting and, you know, not eating, 
not drinking and being tempted by the devil, but yet the spirit led him into that environment. So that's, to me, that's somewhat of a head scratcher, but the spirit was leading him into that wilderness so that his faith would grow and his resolve and, and, and the ability to quote scripture back to the lies of the devil. And so there's a certain part of the spirit led life that we don't always, I don't always understand. It seems to be a mystery, but then there's another part of the spirit filled life that there's uh, decades and centuries of disciplines and models of other people that we can follow that is not a mystery. And, you know, uh, sometimes I like to say we can always be more spiritual, but sometimes we just need more skills. You know, we need to know, for example, when we have a broken relationship, what are some of those skills that we can repair? We can have relational repair. You know, how can I learn to come back in comfort and not be defensive? You know, how can I come back in, in humility and ask for forgiveness instead of blaming, you know? And, and so having these skills and having the ability to get into a routine of life where we're literally asking the Holy Spirit to guide our conversation, to guide our words. Uh, sometimes in, in our marriage, we'll say, you know, right now we're both angry. And if, if I talk much more, I'm not going to be sounding very spiritual. So uh, let's wait until tomorrow when we're not so exhausted. And, you know, I'm a lot more spiritual, Terrence, when I'm rested. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting how that works. That's good. Uh, that's what Psalm 23 is all about, right? Being by the green pastures and by the water and restoring our soul. And, and so, so for me, um, having those skills, recognizing that God's going to speak to me uh, through the spirit, through his word, and uh, being quiet. The other, the other part that's, that I think is hard in our Western Christianity is we have such a noisy culture. Now, COVID helped quiet us down yeah. a little bit. And I'm hoping a lot of our listeners use that to the advantage of growing their soul and growing that spiritual part of them. And, and that became an opportunity versus an obstacle. Mm -hmm. But we have such a noisy society. And, and what I'm becoming to realize is... Uh, man's noise has a way of distracting but if i get quiet before the lord and allow the spirit to speak to my heart it's like silence is the language of god and and god wants me to become fluent in silence and if i'm learning to be fluent in a language immersion is the best way to learn to learn that language and so i try to have a regular routine of going away to a monastery or a, a lake house or a, a mountain home and just having blocks of 72 hours or a week or 48 hours and just getting quiet and just having the Bible and having a journal. And it's interesting how perspective is elevated uh, in silence. And, and, I, and, I, and I get out of the weeds of my, my worries and my problems. And God's able to remind me of his faithfulness and his track record. And so I think, I think that silence and solitude is a big part of that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know. When I think about your book, uh, The Spiritual Life of a Leader, and I just think about the many organizations that you've been able to speak into and walk with, and, and um, it, it really is about leadership at the end of the day. Um, what are some of the similar challenges you see most leaders having to face in organizations? And, and, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to see if we can dovetail some of those challenges into family life, but what are some typical or consistent issues you see 
in leaders, especially as they're forming new organizations uh, and trying to establish themselves? What are some of the challenges that you find, Boyd? Yeah, I think failing to put boundaries in on the front end. Mm -hmm. You know, like what Andy Stanley said years ago when he felt led to start North Point Church, he said, Lord, whatever, whatever church we can build on 40 hours a week, I, you know, I'm excited about. And I think he's done okay. He's done pretty well. So, so the Holy Spirit can take 40 hours of work that's done in the Spirit that allows emotional energy to come back to the most important relationships in our life, which are those that are under our roof in our home. And it's a faith issue. So can I trust God with my 40 hours of work infused and led by the Holy Spirit so that I've got emotional energy and mental, mental engagement for my family? And then God takes those fishes and loaves. He takes what we have. And all of a sudden he's feeding 5,000 and it's God's economy. is just so much, so much different. I think the other challenge for leaders is, and, and I have to be aware of this in my own life constantly as leaders, we're either trying to please everybody. That's one extreme, or, we, or we're not pleasing anybody. We're just kind of doing what we want to do. And the middle ground is there's a question I give our little team uh, with got a wisdom hunter ministry and then the national Christian foundation. But uh, I came up with this question several years ago. They can ask me anytime, Boyd, are you sure? You know, Boyd, are you sure you want to add that to the calendar? Because we already agreed at our offsite a few months ago that this was going to be our strategy. And if we add that to the calendar, we won't have the capacity to complete what we said we wanted to do at our offsite. And so having the integrity to keep my word to what we already agreed to as a team, and certainly there always has to be flexibility, but for the leader to give permission for his team to ask hard questions, I think is critical to protect us from ourselves. And then having those boundaries on the front end that work is important and we're going to do our work under the Lord, but work is not our life. Jesus Christ is our life and, and work is an opportunity to glorify him through our life. Yeah. You know, as business leaders, as faith-based leaders, as, as all those things, they, they are good things in themselves, but they begin to be idols in our life, don't they? Uh, those are things that we're substituting where we, for what I would say, relationship with the Lord. And, and, you know, I was guilty of that board in the sense that, uh, you know, young men, a very high position at Coca-Cola, uh, trying to figure out how to sell more, you know, colored water across the, across the world. And you can get caught up in trying to build that, that organization or build whatever you're involved in. And you forget sometimes what the most important, uh, what's important focus is, and that is first putting him first, uh, putting the Lord first. And then secondly, my wife and my children and, and whatever else he's given me as a challenge. Uh, and those things become idols, if you will. We don't like to think of them that way, right? But we're substituting something else for what we should be focusing on, which is God. And, and taking that time, I found, um, that's why I think the Sabbath is so important and, and, and thinking about how do you take that, that time to really get into God's word, to get in communion with him, to pray and, and have conversation. And, and then just to kind of, I just like to write out uh, just some things as I'm reading uh, his word and just praying through, Lord, what do, you, what do you want me to hear today? You know, sometimes he's probably thinking in terms, I'm tired of you talking. I just, just listen for a minute, right? And I, I just found, um, 
I found greater growth when I'm listening than when I'm, I'm, I'm you know, asking. Uh, and I also found that in business. Uh, when I'm listening to the team, I'm listening to my leaders, I'm listening to the clients or the customers, et cetera. I found more growth. I found more opportunity than when I'm talking. You know, there's a time to talk, obviously, but there's a time to listen. And I felt like that that was the one. What, what has been your experience? Anything similar? Um, yeah, there, it seems like there's always this tension between relationship and results because, you know, as leaders, we're very bottom line focused. We, we want to reach our goals. We want to re- make, you know, we want to, you know, reach the goal, reach the quota, you know, d- double the expectation, but not at the expense of relationship. And so as a leader, how can the people on the team know that I really love them and care for them? Maybe it's a handwritten note. Maybe it's attending the funeral of one of their loved ones. Maybe like you were just saying, it's a listening ear, a challenge. Uh, I had one friend that his son had, had, had strayed away from the Lord, and he just asked me to pray with him about this. So for three years, we prayed pretty regularly for his son. Then we started a book club and invited his son and his son's business partner into the book club, just studying books about leaders. And, and then, I don't know, this was like seven years into this process, uh, his son said, you know, I've got an alcohol problem and I need to check myself into rehab. And so mm-hmm. now, now he's 500 days later, he's been sober, uh, but, but it was valuing the relationship. This dad, my friend, valued the relationship of his son, which meant he didn't travel as much with his work. He spent more time with his son because his son was so needy. He wasn't going to give up on him, even though his son kept disappointing him. He kept the relationship the priority. And, and he still thrived at work. And, you know, God has a way of, of filling in the gaps yeah. when we choose, you know, when we choose to do that. I think the other piece, too, that's important that, that we don't need to forget is our time with the Lord. It really is like investment. It's an investment time. It's it's dollar cost averaging, even if it's five minutes a day or 10 minutes mm-hmm. or 30 minutes, we're we're investing in our relationship with the Lord. And over time. A year later, all of a sudden, there's these character dividends or the fruit of the spirit is becoming more and more uh, evident in our life. And the other thing the scripture talks about, Terrence, and we've all read this, but he compares it to athletics, to training, to the military. And so, you know, we've all hired trainers to help us physically. We've hired tutors to help us academically. Why, Why? Maybe we need to engage a spiritual coach. To, to help us with the training around the spiritual disciplines. I know the last couple of years, my wife has enjoyed that and it's taken her to a whole nother level in her understanding of what God's doing in her life. And so it just seems if it is a priority as a leader, then we'll make time to become better and to, and to learn what it means to be spirit-filled and spirit-led yeah. as God's leader. Well, it really speaks to your earlier point. Uh, I'm really excited about the spiritual coach you mentioned because uh, we have what we call a master family champion uh, who's a trainer coach. Uh, We call him a discipler on our side, but it's a coach. And you need someone to walk with you. Uh, You need someone to hold you accountable. I think that's our biggest challenge in life as a Christian today. Who's who's your accountability partner 
or partners and who's walking with you in this journey? Because we all need, we all need that support. Um, I mean, if, if you don't need that support, then you're the primary person that need that support uh, if you think you don't. Boy, you know, there's something as you were speaking, just I don't even know where it came, just came from my heart is, tell me about your childhood, man. Tell me about how you grew up and your parents and spirituality in your home. What does that look like? And, and how does that differ today uh, in terms of the challenges that you face as a parent today versus what your parents may have faced? It's man, I, it's come out of left field, but it's just one I'm it just hit me. I don't know, spirit filled life. I'm living a spirit filled uh podcast here. Um, what can you tell me, my friend? Yeah, you know, I'm grateful for my childhood. Um, I think God uses everything in our life to draw us closer to Himself, the good and the bad. And there was a time in my childhood that I was very resentful because uh, I'm the oldest of three sons, three knucklehead sons. And my dad left when I was five, he and my mom divorced. And we grew up in a property that my grandmother owned. It was a rental property. So my grandmother was like a Proverbs 31 woman. She was a businesswoman, loved the Lord. And so we grew up in this little 800 square foot wood frame home, a small town in Alabama and, you know, food stamps and um, the, the, the department of housing would pay my grandmother $200 a month on our behalf to stay in her property. And it was very humble, very humble. Uh, sometimes I felt humiliated, but, but it motivated me to, to really be academic and to study, to try to love people well, because I felt like the model I had seen with my parents was not a healthy, loving model. And, and then there was a family that had a ping pong table and I would ride my bicycle to this family's house. And I learned later their evangelism was they loved each other and they loved me and they were great. Her mom was a great cook. Well, I ended up marrying the, the girl that lived there. And so, in fact, when we started dating in college, her dad said, if you're going to date my daughter, this was great preparation for me eventually having four daughters. He said, if you're going to date my daughter, you have to attend church with us. Well, I've never gone to church. I'm in college. And so the gospel, Terrence, just melted my heart. And, and I went as a business guy. I was doing market research to know how to do business with church people, you know. And, and she was cute. And the gospel just, I heard about a heavenly father that would love me, even if I didn't have an earthly father. And I could lean into him and he would be my security and he'd be my strength. And he would be my biggest cheerleader, that I was a beloved son of God in whom he was well pleased. And I mean, the tears just flowed. And I had a business guy that discipled me and mentored me, felt called to vocational ministry. So that, that was kind of my defining moment. And I think God used all the adversity and the challenges that we had. Though, as a young child, when you're in the middle of it, you don't really realize there's yeah. all this yeah. adversity. Because mom, mom did have a double portion of love in her life as a single a single mom. And uh, one last thing I'll mention, I lost my mom two years ago and yeah. she's in heaven, but you know, even as an adult, we would talk about every week and she would, their moms never start mothering, never stop mothering, you know? So she asked me one day, how can you let your son go to Europe? I mean, how can you let your brother go to Europe? There are all these terrorists over there. And I'm like, mom, he's 54 years old. You know, he's, he's not a so when, when mother was alive, the 20% of our conversation, sometimes I would focus on that, that irritated me. 
But now that she's not with me anymore, it's the 80% I think about that, yeah. that, that influenced me in a positive way. And I said, yeah. Lord, help me in my relationships to focus on the 80% and not the 20%. Man, that is so good. That is so good, boy. You know, I think about you. I think about your genuineness. Uh, you're caring for other people. Uh, you invest so much of your life uh, into others. And at least that's my perspective. I could be wrong, but I've just seen you give in, in ways um, because you have a genuine love for people. And I think that that may have come out of your story. Um, and, and so much. And Terrence, just one other thought. Um, I always like to hang around 30 something year olds because I learn a lot. You know, I have four son-in-laws. We have regular uh, meetings together. And I've got another group of business guys and I asked them recently to write their obituary. I said, you know, what, what do you want to be remembered? What do you want your wife to say about you? What do you want your children, your friends, your work associates? And I think that's a clarifying exercise too. To, 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 if I'm going to, to live the spiritual life of a leader, I need to exhibit those values that are that are that are those timeless values that are the most meaningful in our most meaningful relationships. And boy, that was quite the exercise because they they came back and read those. And it it's things we already know intuitively, but it's it's really good to get it down on paper. Yeah. Well, boy, as we get close to closing, I want to do two things. One, I want you to think about this generation today, uh, specifically think millennial. Uh, who's raising, you know, Gen Zs. And, and we've just come off of boomers and Gen X who raise millennials, and now we go to the next generation. Uh, if you were to have six or 12 of those young parents in your, in your living room today, and they were seeking wisdom, and, and you guys were just chatting, what would you tell them? What would you tell these young parents of today about family and raising children and marriage and so forth. What, what words of wisdom would you give in terms of their spiritual life, in terms of the family life? Uh, what, what, what would you say? I think the first thing I would say is keep your eyes on Jesus because he will never let you down. Keep, keep laser beam focused on the Lord because we become who we aspire to to be who we focus on is who we become that would be foundational and then secondly i would say do a whole lot of apologizing so whatever age our oldest daughter was i would tell her i said rebecca i'm sorry i've never had a five-year-old we're practicing on you and so every you know um going back to the children would you forgive me dad was tired i got angry i wasn't mad at you i was mad at myself uh, I think being honest about my own struggles with the children and with my wife gives them permission to be honest about their own struggles and to ask forgiveness. And, you know, Jesus summed up the Christian life on the cross when he said, you know, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so gr growing in my empathy, you know, I would say to them, growing your empathy Learn the skills of being able to know someone, really know them and understand them and, and be able to be empathetic to them and show compassion. And out of that, good things, good things happen. It doesn't mean things are always easy, but if we keep our eyes on the Lord and we have a lot of compassion, empathy and forgiveness and honesty with each other, uh, 
God works in a beautiful way. Well, boy, I think here's what I'd like to conclude. This has just been wonderful, man. I, I can keep going uh, for another three, four hours with you, man, and probably still pick up some jewels and some nuggets uh, to share. Um, here's the last question I have, and, and then I'm going to give you freedom uh, just to just kind of speak your heart. But before I do, I want to give a little plug to the spiritual life of a leader. And not that you would have me do that, I know, but you know, I just apologize for it. Don't worry about it. Tell me, where can I order my audience pick up your new book? When is it coming out? And when can we pick it up? What's what's the details? What's the uh, URL or whatever? Terrence, thank you for bringing that up. Um, I do think it's the most important book that I've written. I really felt God's pleasure through the process. It took a couple of years. It, it was able to combine my two passions of leadership and the spiritual life. Um, yeah, Harvest House is publishing the book. You can pre-order right now on Amazon and it will officially be released August, August 10th. Right. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be, I think it'll be something that will be a, of encouragement to leaders and, and it, whether it's at home or at work. Mm -hmm. Is there a pre-order URL or anything that some people can go to that you remember? <laughs> that, well, if you just go to Amazon and type in the spiritual life of a leader. Okay. And then you can just pre-order and that actually helps us a lot to go ahead and yes. build a pre-order. So yeah. thank you for asking. Yes. Yeah. Well, let me encourage you. If you're listening to this podcast, let me encourage you not just to buy one book. I always encourage my listeners to buy five, 10 books, because what you want to do is you want to, you want a copy of your own, right. To keep uh, on your shelf, but then you want to give some away to for people you love, to, to friends, to family, to guests, uh, and that way uh, you're passing that message on to another whole generation uh, of, of people that's in your life uh, that can benefit from this material. Uh, and I can tell you, you're, we're talking to a man who has a great deal of experience, and I'm not just saying that, a great deal of experience, a lot of respect for him, uh, the work that he's done, uh, and I'm sure he's going to talk about the challenges that he's faced. But when you look at the spiritual life of a leader, uh, I think it's one of the most critical components that we have to understand about ourselves. Uh, it reminds me of a time when, when I came into corporate America, uh, faced with a, a significant challenge in, in a company by the name of Johnson & Johnson. And we lived through one of the greatest crises that this nation has ever seen, uh, a tampering crisis of a consumer product called Tylenol. And, and as we work through that issue and reformulated and retooled and remanufactured, we had a leader by the name of Dr. James Burke. And Dr. James Burke, I never realized it, but he was a believer. And, and some approached it from an economic standpoint. You know, how do we rebound? How do we spend? How much money we spend? What do we look? Dr. Burke said, never, let's not have a money conversation. It's never the wrong time to do the right thing. And we're going to rebuild, we're going to retool, we're going to do whatever it takes because the consumer comes first. And this spirit-filled leader felt that it's about people. It's about the consumer. It's about our customers, our clients, our, our vendors, et cetera, that we owe uh, this, this moment to of response. And he says, you know, most will look at this as, as doom and gloom. He says, I look at this as our greatest moment of opportunity to show them the very fabric 
of Johnson and Johnson and who we are as a company. And so when I think about your book, The Spiritual Life of a Leader, uh, I think it's one of the most important discussions we can have today around integrity and the character of a person, the values of a person, the values of a company, all those good things, I'm sure that's in there. And how do we live a life that's greater than ours, I seek a goal that's greater than ours? So Boyd, I'm, I'm honored to have you. Uh, final question, and then I'll give you a last uh, uh, say wherever you want to go. I'm thinking about those 11 year old, uh, those 11 grandkids that you have. And if you could leave them one word of encouragement, uh, you could take it anywhere you want to go. But those 11 grandkids, when they reach the age of 21, if you could give them one word of encouragement around this spirit-filled life, what would you say to them? What would be, what would be a, a word that you would leave for them? You know, one thing that comes to mind is for them to keep their childlike faith and trust in Jesus. Um, keep that joy and that, that vivid imagination that they have. Um, they give me so much energy because of the, the joy of the Lord is their strength. I mean, they just, just thrive on being loved and loving and, and, and being imaginative. But I think it's that childlike faith. As adults, we get so sophisticated. You know, I, I get, I want to talk theology and I want to, everything's so complicated and everything's so serious, but I'm wondering if Jesus is saying, Boyd, would you just take it down a notch? Re remember when you were a child, remember how you, you were in all of my creation and you were in all of me and what I've done for you. And, you know, don't lose that childlike wonder mm -hmm. of, the, of our great and mighty God. I think it's being good. real. Good well, my friend, let me give you the final word. Uh, go anywhere you like to go, story, just close anywhere you like to close us. Uh, go for it, my friend. Well, I mentioned to you that I try every year to, to, to visit a monastery, and you know, the brand of a monastery is silence, so it's a good, a good place to go for me to, to get that silence. But I try to make an appointment with a monk when I go to these monasteries, and so. Uh, I just come out of a severe health issue about 10 years ago around cancer and I'm great today. I'm praise God. I'm, I'm well, uh, but I was emotionally and physically just spent. So I went up to a monastery in outside of Rochester, New York, Genesee Abbey, where Henry Nowen served for a year. And I met with, um, uh, one of the, one of the monks there, um, brother Barnabas, I believe was his name. And no, no, it was Brother Marcel. Anyway, so I met with this monk and I said, Brother Marcel, would you help me, Brother Marcellus, would you help me understand how I can grow in my walk with Christ in humility and in love? What does that look like? How can I grow in humility and love in my walk with Christ? And he called me Boyd about 12 times. You know, I have one of those strange Southern names and you know, when somebody calls your name and looks you in the face, you, I felt like Jesus was talking to me. He valued me so much. And he said, Boyd, anytime you're hurt or offended, the amount of time it takes you to thank God and forgive is an indication of how close your walk is with Christ. And he held up his fingers and he said, for some people, they die in bitterness. They, 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 don't, they don't thank God and forgive. For others, it takes years. For others, it takes months. 
For others, it takes weeks. For others, it takes days, hours, minutes, seconds. He says, those that are walking closest to Christ, their thanksgiving and forgiveness of sin when offended are simultaneous to the offense. I thought, oh my goodness, he's at a whole nother level than I am. And then, then I said, would you pray a prayer over me? And so he had had me in the comfortable love seat. He was sitting on a hard chair. You know, he's 89 years old. So, I, so Terrence, I knelt down in front of his chair. He put his hands on my head and he said, Heavenly Father, I pray for my brother Boyd that you would glorify yourself through his life and that he would bear much fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. And, and I gave him a big hug, not too hard. I didn't want to hurt him. And then I went in the bathroom and just, just wept. And, you know, I do think tears are the language of love. And, and I know he wasn't Jesus, but that prayer over me felt like Jesus praying over me. And so that's what I would leave with those, our listeners, that there's mentors out there, there's spiritual giants that, that God's going to use in your life as a defining moment to define you and, and never forget that you are a beloved child of God and whom he is well pleased and he's going to glorify himself through your life and you're going to bear much fruit for his glory. Amen. I think that's a place where we need to stop. And uh, what a what a word, what a way to end it. My friend, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you again. The Spirit-Filled Life of a Leader comes out in August. Uh, let's get some pre-orders going. Let's, let's get some copies. Uh, boy, thank you so much for your time today, my friend. You're welcome, Terrence. What a joy to be with you. Thank you for thank your you. investment in the kingdom. Thank you so much. God bless.